man. It's been less than a week, and you're already talked yourself into Drew Locke. This is this is sadder than I thought. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the H Dog Pod with your host Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to Milestone Episode 80, the Steve Largent edition of the podcast. It's only fitting that I use him for this episode as he was a Seahawks legend, considering they just recently let go of two other franchise icons in Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. Largent was a seven-time Pro Bowler, is first in several Seahawks receiving records, led the NFL in receiving yards twice, is in the Hall of Fame, and had 100 touchdowns, the most perfect of milestones. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, and in that meantime, I went ice fishing, and I was in Nashville for a weekend. Let me tell you, that city is epic, but it is a wild trip. Once the Seahawks traded away quarterback Russell Wilson, who likely will also be a Hall of Famer, I had to discuss that and other crazy stuff going on in the NFL, so I figured I'd fire back up the podcasts. What better way to do that than have on a past guest? So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on my great friend Steve Domini. I used to work with him at TSN for many years, and he was on episode 18 of the podcast, talking all things NFL and reality TV. I'd figure we'd discuss the same things and more this time around. Welcome back to the H Talk Pod, Steve. Well, thanks for having me. Your uh, your guest list has uh, really dried up here. If, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, yeah, I really am scraping the bottom of the barrel. It's been a while, unfortunately, since I've done a <laughs> podcast, about, about a month or maybe five weeks or something like that. And I was like, all right, I guess I better uh, start doing them again for this milestone 80th episode. And I was like, you know what? What better way to, to celebrate that than with a good old buddy, uh, Steve Domini? So, yeah, thank you for coming back onto the podcast, bud. Okay. Well, I think what well, the whole reason you had me on is because I've been calling you, well, maybe not calling, texting you, wondering how you're doing. <laughs> Russell Wilson, no longer a Seahawk. Talk to me. Uh, yeah. I, 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 to be honest with you, the last couple of years, whenever there'd be rumors about it, I consistently said okay it's it's just that's all smoke there's no you know there's no actual fire here they're gonna work it out it's not actually gonna happen i remember you know i basically i've been saying that the entire time there's no way it actually is gonna happen so when it did when i got the text uh from a uh, good buddy uh uh saying that he got traded i was i was just in disbelief that they actually pulled the trigger on it and uh i mean yeah it goes back many years it seems like there was uh, some distrust, and obviously Russ wants to cook. But then when he did cook two years ago, the second half of, uh, of, the, of the year after, like the first half of the year two years ago, he was like an MVP. Then the second half, he was quite bad, actually. And so I think it's sort of the writing was on the wall a little bit. But considering all things considered and the fact that he only wanted to go to Denver, I think they made it pretty well on the trade. Obviously, it all uh, is uh, hinging on whether they can draft well or, or not, though. Yeah, do you think they'll draft a quarterback in the first round or kind of push it till next year, sign someone, or do you, what do you think the Seahawks do? I, I figured, like, uh, they might be loading up on picks here for, depending on how the legal situation plays out, full disclosure, we're recording this on March uh, 11th here, so uh, the Deshaun the Watson situation, how that plays out uh, in terms of the, 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 the uh, legal process, I think they might be loading up for draft picks to be able to acquire him, although a few other teams are in the same boat with him, I guess. So an hour after originally recording this pod, the news came out that Deshaun Watson will not face any charges with his pending legal matters. So I figured I'd give Domini a call to discuss potential landing spots for the star QB. 
All right, Steve. So, yeah, the Deshaun Watson, uh, now that he's clear of all legal issues, obviously the speculation is going to ramp up here. What team he's going to go to next? Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the next destination uh, for Watson? Yeah, I, I guess there could still be a suspension, but maybe, you know, the NFL considers a time served last year. He did get paid, but, you know, he was out of our lives for a year. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe that'll suffice. Otherwise, uh, some I, was, I have a list of teams popped up here. So I'm seeing Carolina, Indianapolis, Minnesota, New Orleans, New York Giants, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, your Seattle Seahawks and Tampa Bay as, you know, teams still looking for a quarterback. Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think your Seahawks can get in there? Well, definitely the market, uh, as we were mentioning, is going to heat up for sure on him. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be s- several teams are going to be in a bidding war for him because I think he's only still like 25, 20, or maybe 26 years old. It's not like he's old at all. Uh, yeah, actually, I did see somewhere online uh, his odds on Thursday uh, for him going to Seattle was uh, plus 700. And now that he's cleared of all legal issues, that's down to plus 200 to Seattle, which is like, obviously, that very much would be one of the favorites to land him. Uh, I don't know. If I'm betting it, certainly I'm not betting in that line. That's so, so low. But uh, there's definitely teams, tons of teams that uh, could be in on him. But yeah, what about Tampa Bay? What do you think about that? Yeah, I I picked Tampa Bay. They were 20 plus 2,500. Uh, like while well, the season was still going on, and I got them at a, a nice juicy number, so I'm, I'm hoping the Bucks do land him. I think key to that because the Bucks, uh, they obviously they draft a little later in the first round, and they don't have the draft assets of other teams. So I think key to Watson going there would be his no trade clause. He does have one, so if he just tells uh, Houston, no, I'm only going to these places. And he, and he almost has all the power in this situation now because, uh, yeah, he's got the no trade clause. He knows Houston has to move him. They don't want him to play. So I, I think his haul could be a little less than people expect just because he's going to be able to direct this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes Tampa Bay uh, a great spot. It's obviously in Florida before he was tied with Miami. Big opening with Bruce Arians. They have shown they don't really care about character before with Antonio Brown thing. So these are all reasons I, I like them at plus 2,500. Oh, yeah. No, not happening. Tom Brady is actually coming out of retirement to play for the Bucks. The odds movement to Seattle, though, is is interesting. Like maybe, maybe they know something or maybe it's just tied to the Russell Wilson thing. Um, would you like to see him in Seattle? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's like that moral thing, but uh, I mean, let's let's not let's not pretend like NFL teams or teams in general care about uh, character. As long as you have talent, they they will always like overlook character. I mean, within reason, of course. I think the Toronto Blue Jays actually are one of the very very few teams in sports that said with Roberto Osuna, their star closer, a few years ago, they traded him to Houston. One of the very very few teams that said and took a personal stance against domestic violence. But generally speaking. Teams, as long as you're a talented player, they'll give you chance after chance after chance. So I can't pretend that I wouldn't, you know, I, I'll admit, I, I can't pretend I wouldn't love Deshaun Watson being in Seattle because he's <laughs> obviously a super talented oh, quarterback sure. and obviously way better than me trying to talk myself into Drew Locke or Kaepernick or Jacob Eason or any other Geno Smith, any other quarterback Seattle could roll out there. So uh, I'll admit that, yeah, I would uh, would like to get him to, to Seattle. But as I said, at plus 200, I definitely would not be betting uh, on that. 
I'm curious to, to see what the Lions would go to. But uh, Pittsburgh, without question, I think is also another one. Uh, although maybe Houston wants to get them out of, out of the AFC, but Pittsburgh would be uh, pretty intriguing too. Yeah, Pittsburgh would be fun. Uh, like you said, maybe they want to come out of the AFC. Indianapolis, that's not going to happen because it's in division. Carolina, they're, I know their owner, everyone keeps mentioning David Tepper, and he's going to throw his money around and get stuff done. But does I, I think Watson might be from Carolina as well. So, um, that, so that kind of makes sense if he wants to go home. But it's a bad team, so does he really – want to direct himself to a bad team they're interesting i think uh i don't, I don't know if watson would go there because i think he might have turned it down last year but the philadelphia eagles are you know they have all those picks they have three first rounders this uh this year because of the trade they made uh getting rid of wins last year so uh and and apparently they were in on russell wilson uh wilson next the uh, philly deal along with a. Uh, Washington deal in favor of Denver. So that shows that Philly's not necessarily in love with Jalen Hurts. So if, uh, if what, if, if it's a true bidding war and Watson will go anywhere, I think Philadelphia gets them just because they have the most assets. But if uh, Watson's kind of steering the ship here, I think it's probably Tampa Bay. It's uh, funny. I just actually Googled him to see where he was from. He's from Georgia, which, that made me think, and you know, this is obviously a long shot bet. I'm sure his odds for this for this team would be quite long. But going to Atlanta, if, if they decide, okay, Matt Ryan, he's like late 30s, we're done with him. I'm sure, obviously, they would love to bring in a quarterback 10 years younger than him into Sean oh, Watson. Yeah. Him going home to Atlanta, I'm sure those odds would be relatively long, actually. Uh, yeah, uh, I think Matt Ryan's contract is like prohibitive to to actually do anything there. I keep hearing like they can't even trade him because it's so big, which seems you know it's too bad because a lot of teams like indy could could use matt ryan but uh yeah i'm uh i'm excited for this watson sweepstakes uh should should be fun here's here's my what i wonder it did uh does Pete carroll and uh, john schneider they have contracts for another like four or five years have, have they basically talked to jody allen and said okay like we're gonna essentially punt this year where the, the draft class is is pretty weak like, are you cool with us? Like, you know, we're not, not going to try to lose, of course, but like, let's, let's look at the quarterbacks the next year because if they want to do that, there's no guarantee that after, if, if they're like, what are four and 13 next year, then they might want to fire both of them. So it's like, I don't know. Did they have that pressure to absolutely get their franchise quarterback this year? Or do they have assurances that they could do it the next year? That, that's sort of my question because otherwise uh, they, they need to go for a quarterback this year otherwise. Yeah, I think I think they could just draft a guy this year and try to use that Russell Wilson plan they had before. You know, like grab Malik Willis; he can run a bit. They could run that same Russell Wilson rookie season kind of offense, and you know, run a lot like they want. Pick up the third downs with Malik Willis running, or you know, Matt Coral or Corral or whatever you say his name, Kenny Pickett maybe. Not as much of a runner, obviously, but. I think they they might surprise and pick someone up in the first or second round this year. I think uh, because they have the the the, uh, the the trade of course was two first round picks from Denver, two second round picks, like a fifth round pick, and three players. Noah Fant being uh, a quite a good young tight end, and Drew Locke, the quarterback, coming back. I'm I'm not so sure that uh, the Seahawks aren't more enamored with him than people might realize. I'm obviously I I can't imagine they're 
completely fine going into the year with him and not actually bringing bringing in any other competition there. But I mean, he was a second round pick. He's still twenty five, I think it is. Like, is there any oh, chance man. that the, the Denver offense was just bad because Denver had bad coaches? Like, is there any is there any thought to basically essentially? Uh, even though he wasn't as high of, of, a, of a draft pick, kind of like a Ryan Tannehill ceiling for him in terms of going to that next team, maybe being uh, not oh, so bad. Man. It's been less than a week, and you're already talked yourself into Drew Locke. Uh, this is this is sadder than I thought. <laughs> I know, I know. No, but seriously, look, is there? Ch- I'm I'm saying from their perspective, I don't know. Like, obviously, he was a throw into the deal. He's clearly not the the centerpiece to the trade. But is there a shot that they maybe uh, like him more than uh, other people? I I don't know. It's going to be a very, very fascinating offseason than that. But, yeah, I would love, of course, if they drafted a you know, rookie quarterback. Uh, it seems like, though, a lot of them aren't really thought of as, like, first-round talent. So that's what's sort of a little bit scary for this whole situation. What What do you think is true? Because it seems like people believe one of these two things. If you listen to other podcasts or read articles, it's like Pete Carroll, option one, Pete Carroll's a dinosaur. Games passed him by. Russ had to get out of there. Option two, Russ isn't really elite. He's too short to play in the pocket. His play has fallen off. Is it, you know, what, what are we going to find out next year? Is it a bit of both of those things or what are your instincts on this? Well, I think the reason, and of course this dates back to when they lost the Super Bowl to, to New England, there was a rift in the locker room that they never fully recovered from. It's because obviously their Legion of Boom defense was incredible. And I think a lot of them, because of the, the game before that against Green Bay, he had uh, what, four or five interceptions, Russ, and the defense kept him in it. Then he had the magic to come back to win the game. I think a lot of those guys sort of uh, had a, a bit of a vendetta against Russell because it's like, yeah, he, you know, he's able to pull stuff out of the hat in the fourth quarter. But the first three quarters, even in their peak years, their, their first half uh, of, of every playoff game was horrible, their offense. So I do wonder if, like, people thought, like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're putting the shackles on Russell. They, you know, they should let him cook more. And then when they did, like I said, like I already mentioned, two years ago, First half of the year, MVP candidate. I think he was a front runner actually. And then the second half, it was like, what is going on here? Like, he's just making weird throws and getting sacked when he should be throwing the ball away. He was he was making rookie mistakes that he hadn't made the previous whatever eight years of his career. So even before the finger injury, Russell has uh, there were some things where you're like, I don't know. So I'm starting to think uh, it's possible. Pete, he's not a dumb coach. Whether you like him or not, a lot of people don't like him. Fair enough. But I don't, I don't think he's gotten to be as successful as he has been at USC and now in Seattle by being a dumb coach. I think he realized, you know what, Russell has limitations. Of course, he's a very good quarterback. I'm not going to be throwing him under the bus and saying he's awful now that he's gone. But I think Pete might be onto something that maybe Russell wasn't quite as awesome as everyone thinks he is. And well, now we're going to see in Denver. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm interested to see that. I'm also keeping an eye on Indianapolis. Like they obviously have their, their team is is ready to win. I've got Jonathan Taylor. I've got a decent defense. I'm, I, I wonder if they, what they're doing at quarterback after they fleeced Washington in the Carson Wentz deal. Just incredible how much they, they got from Washington after, you know, like Car- like Frank Reich was the father figure, father figure for uh, Carson Wentz. And just like, you know, went out to get cigarettes from the store, you know, just left them high and dry. And for some reason, Washington is still interested in him. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, it's a good point you make about that uh, in terms of who the Indianapolis is going to go for then. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, in theory, the best quarterback out there would be Deshaun Watson. Obviously, Houston's not going to want to trade him within the within the division. So it is very fascinating as to what is the plan there for Indianapolis? Who do you see them possibly getting there at quarterback? 
Sounds like Jimmy G is on their radar, but I also heard New Orleans for Jimmy G, and that kind of makes sense to me too because, like, how is is Drew Brees in those last couple of years that much better than Jimmy G now? Like, it seems pretty similar, kind of a cerebral quarterback, and then and then maybe Winston goes to the team that, that doesn't get Jimmy G. Like, I don't know. It's they're unless some of these other guys are more available than they're letting on, like. Kirk Cousins doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. Derek Carr, probably not. But you never know because the Seahawks were just saying last week that they weren't trading Wilson. So there could be some more yeah, they, know, they, stuff coming up. They said, yeah, that we, have, we have no intention of trading Russell Wilson, which, of course, people are like, you know, okay, you're not saying you're not slamming the door in that trade. And then, yeah, then a few days later, they got rid of him. Uh, a, a name that for some reason has a lot of buzz here recently, which is ki- quite fascinating to me in terms of, the, the, the potential for him to go to a couple different teams is Mitch Trubisky. All of a sudden, he goes to <laughs> Buffalo for a year, and people, are, I guess, are forgetting, or maybe because he was on Chicago and they're a terrible team. Like, for some reason, it seems like he's getting some buzz, which is really bizarre to me. Uh, what do you think about that? Tons of buzz. Seems like the top story every time you go on, on Twitter, someone says Trubisky's going to make a ton of money. Um, my thoughts, I, w- I would say... I think he's going to end up in New York just because Brian Dable obviously going to the Giants, the Bills XOC. I think he goes there um, unless there really is like way more interest, like people are saying. But some of the landing spots seem to be drying up a little bit now. And I, I, I think he just goes to New York and all that positive buzz is probably just created by the same the same people maybe they're not that many people interested in it's just the guy who worked with them last year and he could compete with Danny Jones and I, I don't know uh, that, that's my take on it he actually ended up signing with the Steelers definitely weird that like you know it's uh within a year all of a sudden apparently he's got his career back on track or something like that another name that uh, of course I saw a couple days ago uh, in a workout video I'm sure the door is probably slammed on him, but I failed to mention when you talk about Seattle's QB plans. I'm sure it's not going to happen, but if any team were to do it, Colin Kaepernick, Seattle was like the only team that uh, actually had him in for a workout a few years ago and then, of course, didn't sign him. Now, I don't think they're going to do it, but if any team is gonna, going to do it, it would be Seattle. Do you think there's any shot about him coming back? Or are all these workout videos he has just sort of... Uh, like There's no shot. Yeah, I, I think zero shot at this point. It, it's been too long and no one wants to, that media attention for for probably minimal gain. I I just think teams, you know, that that's kind of done. I was surprised to even see that pop up because it seems like a dead story now. But I, I would like to see it happen just so you could talk yourself into a Drew Locke, Colin Kaepernick platoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, well, uh, another quarterback. I, it's it's gotten so bad, Steve, that. Uh, uh, a quarterback that played in the Colts, speaking of Colts quarterbacks, Seattle uh, claimed him last year, Jacob Eason. I think he was like a former fourth-round pick or something like that, whatever it was. Seattle claimed him, and he had him on the on the roster the last half of last year. Uh, and it, it's gotten so bad now that Russell's gone, I'm, I'm almost talking to myself into, well, maybe like they, they saw something in him they liked last year. No one knows about him in terms of like he hasn't played much in the NFL and – Let's hope it's not going to be a situation where another like 10 years of just like, you know, trying to talk yourself into really, really bad quarterbacks because obviously uh, uh, the trade of uh, Wilson in terms of, you know, clearing up a bunch of cap space, uh, past guest Spiros Karadakis 
has the take of like, and of course I agree with the take as long as you can do it. And it's very, very difficult to pull it off is basically having a QB on his rookie deal. Of course, that's obviously way better, much, much cheaper. And then basically getting rid of him as soon as you have to pay him a lot of money. So the, yeah. of course it'd be incredible if you could do that, but it's just so hard to make sure you actually do it because most of the quarterbacks, it's like a 50, 50 proposition, whether or not they're good, but yeah, that's uh That'd be amazing if they were able to get a young quarterback, but it could be very well me talking myself into Drew Locke, Jacob Eason, and all these other quarterbacks the next little while, which would be terrifying. What's Charlie Whitehurst doing these days? Well, that'd be a that'd be a pretty good one if they if they brought him back. Clipboard Jesus himself, Charlie Whitehurst. That was it's very easy for to forget in uh, Pete Carroll's uh, the initial time when they got rid of Hasselbeck, uh, Matt Hasselbeck. They had Charlie Whitehurst. They traded for Tavares Jackson. They had for a couple years. Then uh, Matt Flynn, they signed him. And then, of course, Russell Wilson was uh, beat him out in rookie camp. So they've had a great quarterback. And I'll, I'd be also remiss to not even to, to not mention uh, Bobby Wagner also arriving in that same draft as Seattle uh, with Russell Wilson 10 years ago. Also released franchise icon. They did right by him. I, that one didn't surprise me at all. At the end of the year, he had a bunch of tackles last year, but uh, it's because their defense was uh, always in the field. And he'd lost a step for sure. He's still a very, very good player. Someone's going to get a good player for a couple of years probably. But that one made sense, getting rid of him. But yeah, the Russell one, I just was, I'll admit, I was uh, flabbergasted that uh, they actually pulled the trigger on that one. And like I said, all things considered, I would have loved more first-round picks, obviously. But a pretty good draft haul, uh, trade haul, don't you think? Yeah, well, the, the problem with it is that everyone just keeps bringing up the Jamal Adams. So then... It seems like a wash. So when Jamal Adams' name is mentioned, it seems like a terrible trade. But if yeah. you can just wipe that from your memory, then, yeah, pr- pretty good uh, pretty good haul. And then you mentioned Wagner, and it seemed like when they got rid of him, then everyone immediately said, oh, the Seahawks are completely tearing it down. And now you see Lockett and DK Metcalf and a bunch of trade rumors themselves. And uh, do you think that's where they're going? I, I would say no. I think they're just kind of, going to try to stay competitive I, I can't see them trading at least Metcalf but what do you think I think Lockett could certainly be on the, be on the move I think he has a couple years left on his deal on not a horribly bad contract it's a, it's a pretty darn good decent one actually and a, a comparable player I was thinking about the other day in terms of compensation coming back uh, Brandon Cooks was traded for a first round pick a few years ago and I th- well, no, lot I think anyway I, I maybe I'm biased I think Tyler Lockett is a better receiver than Brandon Cooks I'm not saying you're going to get a huge haul for Lockett, but I would say like late first round pick, maybe early second round pick for Lockett, perhaps. So I could see him being on the move. DK Metcalf, I'm, I, I'd be quite surprised if they traded him, though. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think, yeah, second at best for Lockett, given his contract and everything. Let's switch sports to the NHL, which, oh boy, uh, the Boston Bruins, your Boston Bruins are, I think, uh, as of this recording, four points back of the Leafs. All of a sudden, the Leafs looked like they were in the clear for, like, maybe going to win the Atlantic Division. Boston's well behind them, and all of a sudden, here we come. Here comes Boston again. Uh, I haven't been uh, super closely following the Bruins. What, uh, what, what do you think their chances are of making a run, especially with the NHL trade deadline uh, coming up here soon? Well, the race is interesting because if Boston catches Toronto, like, does it really matter? Because Boston just moves into that third seed in the Atlantic and has to probably play Tampa Bay, assuming Florida holds on to one. So if you're Boston, you catch Toronto and then, oh, we had to play the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. That doesn't seem that great anyway. And then Toronto might end, you know, they're going to have a hard matchup too, but it could end up even easier. 
a little better than playing Tampa regardless. And then uh, I'm also interested in the race because I got Austin Matthews at 10 to 1 for MVP a couple weeks back. Now he's uh, the favorite in the clubhouse, but I think his candidacy probably gets hurt a bit if he's in that wild card spot. Because then, you know, Edmonton might get in that wild card spot and then suddenly, you know, it's, you're comparing Connor McDavid with Austin Matthews and it, get, it gets a little cloudy. But I think um, if the Leafs can hang on to that three, Matthews probably wins MVP. If he, you know, he's going to win Robert Richard again. Having a great year, obviously. Not a ton of MVP candidates. Um what are was Austin Matthews' odds now? You said you got him at ten to one. What's uh, what's he? I, he's I think he's now. a favorite. He's he's about plus one fifty now. The guy I can't oh, wow. understand why he's not higher in these futures markets for MVP is Johnny Hockey, Johnny Boudreau. Mm-hmm. He is plus thirty five hundred to win MVP, but as of now, he's only five. Like uh, Flames are on top of the Pacific. He's only five points back of the in the league scoring race. Um, I saw on Twitter, obviously I'm not doing my own research here, but he's uh, leading the league in five-on-five points, leading in primary points. Flames have a huge goal advantage with him on the ice. Like 35-1 to seems, I I guess maybe he's not known as a defensive player and he's not going to win, but 35-1 to for a guy on a really good team who might end up on a better, you know, better team than Matthews, certainly, by the end of the year, probably a hotter team um, with with racking up points. I don't I don't understand understand that one too much. Yeah, it's a, a thirty five hundred. It's amazing odds. Obviously, that'd be uh, pretty cool. And as you mentioned, Flames have been on an absolute tear. I remember uh, texting you, and I wish, of course, now I bet more on it. Uh, a couple months ago, I bet uh, Daryl Sutter to be the Jack Adams Award winner. Now he's the favorite. Uh, I bet like seven dollars uh, to win one hundred and fifty or something like that. And, <laughs> Big spender. Uh, I think I, I think I was. I was like, you know what? I don't necessarily love these uh, futures bets because I just want to win the bet now. I don't want to have to wait three, four months. That's why I usually don't spend too much money on those futures bets because uh, it's just like I want to win the damn money now. And I, uh, I guess I did one with the Cincinnati Bengals in like week four of the season to win $300 on like a $4 bet. And obviously they made the Super Bowl. I could have cashed out uh, on Bet365. It's, it's, they have a cash out option, which is uh, it's a blessing, but it's also a curse. And I could have made yeah. like 220 in that game, but what did they have? Like four straight punts in the fourth quarter. I thought, okay, they'll get up two scores. Then I can cash out for sure. I didn't, of course, do it. Obviously, the Rams win the game, and I also could have won our uh, football pool as well. So it could have been like a $600 profit on the Bengals. Instead, it was nothing. So, uh, so yeah, usually I don't like to do these futures bets uh, or at least spend too much money on them because I, you know, it takes a four or five months to, for it to pay off or whatever. But, uh, yeah, now Daryl Sutter's the favorite. And so, yeah, in that same theory, Johnny Goudreau, uh, he's obviously on fire as well. If he continues to go, that 35, uh, plus 350, or sorry, 3,500 is a pretty good, damn good odds. Yeah. I think uh, Bet365 should add a feature for when you cash out and <laughs> and it's a bad cash out. And then they could just taunt you with it for the rest of the year. Like, remember you cashed out on this bet that's gonna cost you three hundred dollars just <laughs> keep bringing it up every time you log into the app that's funny but I, I, like I, think, that. I think the only thing that could maybe i got sutter too coach in the year uh, not as good odds as you but i think nine to one i think maybe the only guy who could beat him now is uh andrew brunette with the panthers uh, uh replacing quenville 
pretty early in the year and then keeping the team on track first time head coach. So, uh, pretty, pretty impressive job. Florida might win the president's trophy. I, I think he's the only one who could beat Sutter in the race right now. And he's at plus five fifty, So a decent hedge if, uh, for sure. And I think Gerard Gallant is the second favorite, I believe behind, um, behind Daryl Sutter. And then, then it is Andrew Burnett. Uh, but yeah, I, obviously Gallant, Gallant good, has but. won before though, right? Like Gallant, I think won a couple of years back. So you, you got to think just spread the wealth around. Like it's a bit ridiculous to give him another one. Yeah. Well, I, I still understand. I'm, I'm almost certain he won that with uh, Vegas, obviously because Vegas went all the way to the cup final. I can't imagine how he didn't win that award. It's still crazy to me how they got rid of him like so soon thereafter. Like what was the deal there? I don't think we ever found that out, but uh, that one is so bizarre. He brought an expansion team to the cup final. And then like, what was it like? Was he even into the? I might have even been into the next year, like ten games into the next year, they got rid of him. Let me. Uh, was that it? Or was, I thought that like one year had passed, and then the next year they got rid of him and put Pete DeBoer in there. But you might be right. Let, let me check. I'm going to check that right now. But yeah, it's. Uh, it was definitely soon thereafter, and I remember it was like sort of controversial that uh, the way the way they got rid of him, like basically like, okay, you're going. Uh, you're not going to be on the plane with us. You're going home in a cab now. It was like what. Yeah, you're right. It was uh, a full season after, and then uh, uh, 49 games into the into the following year, they got rid of him. So very, very bizarre they did that. Uh, yeah, hopefully Daryl Sutter there holds on. Uh, I, I mentioned the trade deadline, of course. It used to be so much better back in the day, obviously, with the trades. Like, you know, when the, the Red Wings would load up with, like, veterans like Wendell Clark and Bill Ranford and, like, all these trades that they would do. Now it's like... You know, the fourth line grinder or like a seventh defenseman, uh, it's always sort of uh, the trade line usually doesn't, it always pretty much disappoints, but the, the potential for something exciting is always there. Do you see, do you see Boston doing anything uh, fascinating at all there or no? Yeah, they're, they're linked to a few, few guys. Uh, and, you know, Bergeron is a free agent after this year. I, I can't see him packing it up, but, uh, you know, the pressure is there to kind of go for it. Problem is they don't have a ton of great prospects in the system. So some guys I've heard linked is the, the defenseman on Phoenix. I'm not even going to try to say his last name. Oh, Jake, Jacob, uh, Jacob Chikrin. Yes, you've nailed it. So that guy, uh, Mark Giordano, I was thinking might be a nice fit for them. So I'm kind of hoping they, they had him just like get another old guy. He's looking for another cup. Get him in there. Uh, DeBrusque has been constantly in trade rumors, but now he's on their first line. So I, I, I can't see him going anywhere because I don't think they'll find a, a partner who's going to give them something that's good right now. It's, you know, it's not like they're the standard team getting rid of a good player or a decent player. They, they're not going to want a prospect for him. So I think he stays put. And uh, I think they probably end up with one or two guys, but not like that. Not that star player. I think like Giroux will probably end up in Florida or Colorado, and the top line guys probably go to teams with better prospect pools. And, and Boston just tries to, you know, one foot in, one foot out, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and go from there. Yeah, like I said, it used to be so much better back in the day. Like the trade, I remember you know being uh, so excited to watch that trade deadline day, and I still am. Like I said, because of the the potential of something happening, but. It's uh, almost always like the. I remember years back the Ryan Smith deal that came in after the three o'clock deadline. He went to the Islanders. It was like holy crap, Ryan Smith! Like it was actually like a big deal the, the trade deadline day. And now almost always all the big deals actually, if there is any, there are any good anyway, 
they happened like two weeks before or like, a, you know, 10 days before. So by the time this episode comes out, there might have been a big deal that happens there. I certainly know the Leafs, it's, they're in a really tr- a tricky position with their goaltending because outside of November, their goaltending has been absolutely atrocious, a train wreck. Like uh, sub 900 save percentage every month, their goaltending, except for November, which was like 950, which was obviously not, uh, not sustainable. Uh, Jack Campbell, of course, injured for a few weeks. They brought Peter Mrazek in this year. He's been an absolute disaster. The Leafs need a goaltender, and it is a, I don't know, like Marc-Andre Fleury, I guess, is the only name that's sort of interesting out there, but apparently he doesn't want to waive it to go to Toronto. My goodness. They have a great team. I just don't see them out hey, of problems. What's his problem? He's, he doesn't want to waive it to go to Edmonton or Toronto or, or, or any of these teams. Apparently he doesn't even want to go to Washington as well. So, I, I'm, yeah, that's a good question as to why he wouldn't want to do that, but Man, the Leafs need something here in goal, and, and and maybe something can click here, but it's just like they've been trying for a while. Okay, eventually these guys, Campbell will find his game again. No. Mrazek will figure it out. No. So, my goodness, they have a, a, you know, a lot of a, a, a good scoring, of course. They're outstanding for that, but uh, come playoff time, yeah. Up against Tampa Bay or Florida, that would actually be a pretty entertaining series because it would probably just be goals galore. Oh, sure. I think it's funny that Fleury's kind of like rewrote his, like the fact that we're talking about him, like, oh, we really want to get Fleury. And obviously won the Vezina last year, probably didn't deserve it. But he also let in that awful goal against Montreal oh. last year that completely changed the series. He, you know, he kind of has a history. He probably cost as many cups as he won Pittsburgh. He probably cost them just as many in that, in that stretch too. So um, it would be fine for him to be in a big market under the lights. I, I think he'd probably fold. Yeah, it's uh like I said, I, 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 the, the other thing I'm wondering about what would be the asking price for him? Like, clearly Toronto wouldn't want to give up, a, you know, a first round pick or something like that. But I'm sure whoever does acquire him might actually have to do that. But yeah, it's uh, I don't know. That's a I mean, that's such a bad, uh, tough position if you're Kyle Dubas, the the GM of the Leafs. Like, like I said, obviously you can't get out of the first round. You have a lot of great, uh, you know, top six forwards or whatever or at least well, the, the top line, although they don't perform in the playoffs, at least as of yet. And then, of course, your defense is shaky, and now all of a sudden your goaltending is really bad. Like, you know, as of a, a few months ago, it's like, okay, at least we have good goaltending. The defense is a bit shaky. But it seems like a lot of teams have something where you're like, well, you know, I don't know. Like, yes, they have a lot of good forwards, but they're kind of leaky. Like, outside of a few teams, outside of, like, Colorado, you know, May, Florida, Tampa, well, obviously Tampa Bay. Right, like Colorado's hard to trust too. After like they choke, they're kind of like Leafs like in the playoffs. They just wait an extra round before they fall apart. They're hard to trust. You're right. And Darcy Kemper is he really going to be the goalie at Legion of the Cup? Like it's uh, you're right uh, about Colorado. Actually, it's a good comparable. At least they win more than Toronto. But yeah, they they folded the last few years too. And the third best team in the league, the Hurricanes. You know who they have in that, right? Freddie Anderson. <laughs> Which, <laughs> He's having a Vezina quality year himself. It wasn't if it wasn't for uh, Shesterkin. Uh, Freddie Anderson's stats have been unbelievable. Yeah, I feel bad. Like in terms of because his last year with Toronto, of course, wasn't good. He was injured and he wasn't very good. And obviously, he's prone to giving up, giving up the bad goal in uh, you know game sevens or I guess I guess game five against Columbus when it was a best of five. Uh, obviously, as you know, he gives up the bad goal against Boston. Uh, but he actually was much better in Toronto than I think he'll be remembered for. Now that he's in a market that doesn't quite care as much like in Carolina, I think uh, it'd be a little bit better uh, for him there. And uh, you know, but yeah, he's definitely had an outstanding season. Very, very good goalie, except for his last year. Like I said, in Toronto, 
I don't know. There's, like, like I said, even if they're good teams, like Freddie Anderson, do you trust him in the playoffs as well? There's a lot of question marks for a lot of teams, which is very, very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, and you know, we all know too that NHL playoffs are an absolute crapshoot. So get in there and and see what happens. You know, yeah. who who knows? No doubt about that. Actually, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, when I went to Nashville a couple of weeks ago. I went to a Nashville Predators game against Dallas, and uh, unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever been to Nashville, uh, Steve, but uh, so fun. The game, like it was a hundred times better. Then, uh, you know, most games here uh, in Toronto in terms of the atmosphere, the fans are so into it. For a 2-1 game in February against Dallas, like the fans were rocking. It was nuts. There was like people who were like, they're eviscerating their GM, David Poyle, for potentially trading Philip Forsberg. And, you know, I was just chatting with them about it and they were so mad about it. And it was so, so fun to be there. Uh, the atmosphere was insane. And uh, that was the, the weekend that the Tampa Bay Lightning were playing Nashville for the uh, outdoor classic game. And it was insane. Even on the Thursday, the, the game that Tampa Bay played was the, was the Saturday. Even on the Thursday, it was crazy the amount of Tampa Bay Lightning fans. So, so many. It was nuts. I would actually say they outnumbered the Nashville fans. Uh, and, of course, there was a lot of them as well. It was uh, so cool to go to a market like that where you think, oh, do they really care about hockey? And it's like, no, they legitimately care about it. It was really, really cool. Were you on the strip in uh, cowboy boots? I was not. In, I was in the strip, but I was not in cowboy boots. I think oh, if I... That's too bad. That's a good visual. <laughs> Just having that visual was, was nice for a second there. Yeah, the uh, cowboy... There was some talk about getting a cowboy hat, possibly. Uh, that never came to fruition, but... Uh, that would have been uh, pretty damn hilarious to see me in one of those. So, that's, that's for sure. Who did you go to Nashville with? It was for uh, Adam Scully, uh, his 30th birthday. Uh, he wanted to go there. and uh, yeah. Your former podcast partner. Yes, right. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he actually oh, might, uh, be, he might be on a future episode of this podcast, actually, talking about that Nashville trip, potentially. Spoiler. Oh. Uh, so how, how old is uh, Scully and his friends? Uh, well, like, uh, yeah, he, it was his 30th birthday, and his, a couple okay. of his other buddies that were there, I think they're like 28 and like 26, something like that. So I was definitely the elder statesman there, that's for sure. Yeah, and still, though, like, that has the potential to get wild, because, like, when you're in twenty in your 20s, you know, usually something kind of happens. You got a good story. Then your age group, the 30s, like, if you go with a bunch of 30-year-olds, like, maybe one guy in the group who's like married is kind of pushing it, you know, and then, and then by your forties, like in my age, it's just like a miracle. If anyone has an affair, you know, like you should almost be <laughs> congratulated if, if you got it done, like you should get the high five from the wife because you know, it's, it's a miracle. So it changes a lot from twenties to forties. <laughs> that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, no, I definitely would encourage anyone to go to Nashville. I, and as, as I said to Scully, though, uh, before we went there, I said we were there for like three full nights. I said we should be there for two full nights. It's the perfect two-night town and get the hell out of Dodge on, the, on that third day. And, yeah, by the third night, I was just so gassed. You're just, you're, you know, obviously you're putting the pedal to the metal the first couple of days and the third day, very, very tired. Definitely have to go on the, on the pedal tours if you're there. You're just in a, uh, in a pedal tour with like 12 other people and you're pedaling and you, you know, have a few drinks, music's playing. You have a tour of the town. That's so much fun there. It's definitely an awesome, awesome place to go to. Two day, two nights total is the perfect amount in Nashville. I've I've been there once, but uh, it was with my wife, so there was no chance of extracurricular activities happening that I was mentioning earlier. So it was, uh, but it but it was still you know a lovely, lovely trip. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, I said off the top of the podcast, uh, 
we'll uh, discuss reality TV, and then uh, I guess uh, we'll get you out of here on that. But uh, Survivor premiere happened as of this recording. The first episode just happened. Uh, what were your thoughts on the on season forty two? Now I can't believe it's been forty two seasons. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, Survivor is now older than than me somehow. Like, how did it happen? Yeah, that's very true. Actually, I watched uh, with Scully uh, maybe a month ago or so the first uh, three episodes of season one of uh, Survivor. Uh, it's so fa- it's so fascinating. It was actually unbelievable. It was really really good considering it was like 22 years ago. The uh, you know obviously the production value wasn't quite there like it is now, but honestly, very 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 good. The the start of the show. Did you like uh, the premiere of uh, of this season? Do you think it has a potential to be uh, pretty good? Impossible to say. I, I I always say that the the first and the last episode of Survivor are usually the worst because the first there's so many people you don't know who you like yet. They're you know no one's making really big moves, and then by the last it's it's kind of obvious. So uh, Survivor, you know it's it's we'll see. Uh, I, I thought this season's cast are really leaning into we'll see the average looking people there's no I don't, I don't know if they're doing it just so jeff probst looks like even more handsome just in comparison to the <laughs> contestants but I, I thought it was a very uh we'll say normal looking bunch this year yeah they definitely have uh i, I was it's funny you say it because i was thinking about how like years and years and years ago that's all i did they just they just wanted to cast hot people basically essentially and uh and no normal as you say quote-unquote normal looking people and uh, that, there's no question it's definitely much more of that this season or whatever in terms of uh, sort of uh, the normal, quote-unquote, normal-looking people. Um, I, there's a couple of things I, I was questioning about that premiere. Uh, one of the twists was uh, it started last season, and I'm still not clear on it because it was only done once last year and now once this year, is the, the shot-in-the-dark shot rule where uh, the dice, if you think you're in trouble, you can play it one of six chances uh, that uh, you'll be able to be saved. Of course, in the first episode, the guy did that, and he was not saved. I'm almost certain I know the answer to this, but uh, you, you, can you only play that shot in the dark thing once uh, for the season? Like, say, say he played it and he won and he and he survived. No, I think you can play it next time too. I, I oh, think. really? But, See, that's unclear to me. Uh, I wasn't sure on that. Uh, if you like, if you wanted to, anyway, because you lose your vote if you play it. Could you just play it the every single tribal council if you wanted to? I, I, it's not clear to me, so I wasn't sure. I, I'm I'm pretty sure the the new tweak that I kind of like this year, even though. You know, we, we've already admitted that we watched Survivor 42 seasons in, so there's no, there's no need to pretend we're not nerds. So I, I kind of like that uh, amulet rule that they, they tweaked. Did they put it in this year? I don't think it was in last year. So to explain, so now a player with an, three players are given like an amulet and together they can use it or if the other two leave first – you can use it when the other two are out of the game. Is, is that how, how it works? I, I thought that might have some like kind of fun strategy there where you're trying to find this thing with the other people. And then now you're, Oh, I got to find a way to get rid of this person. So, you know, I, I end up with this idol myself. It's definitely very fascinating. I can't remember the exact ins and outs of it, but yeah, without question, it's, you know, all three of you can work together to be able to get certain things to help you guys. But as you mentioned, if two of them leave, then the one person has their own idol themselves. So it's a good kind of way of getting them to work together kind of, but then eventually, of course, turning on each other. That seems like that has potential. But the thing with Survivor is a lot of times, uh, it's just, there's so many damn twists in the game. Like, uh, I'm sure it's going to happen again this season where it's like, it's impossible to keep track of them all. 
It's like sometimes I just yeah. wish that Survivor would go back to basics and have like no idols out there, which would freak them out because of course they'd be expecting an idol to be there. It'd be like, like that's kind of why I liked as I brought up season one of Survivor was like it was just a more raw game instead of just like everyone trying to find uh, an idol or a clue or something like that or an amulet or different things that sometimes I feel it can get bogged down a little bit with all these different twists. Oh, for sure. And it's always the worst when a good player is sent home and they really didn't have a chance because some weird twist hit them. So they couldn't even strategize for it. And they were, just, and then they're just voted out and they're gone. And it's just because the game probably, you know, they added too many tweaks. Well, that, that's what happened a few years ago. It was fascinating for it to happen the one time. I would not want it to happen again. Uh, Suri. I think it was like the final seven, I want to say, or six, something. I think it might have been seven. And uh, she had to leave the game. No one voted for her, but because all the other six players had some sort of idol, immunity idol, hidden idol, safety. There was all sorts of different things. Everyone else had something, and she didn't, so then she left the game. It was fascinating for the first time it happening because it was kind of cool. You'd never seen that before. But so I, w- I wouldn't want that, that to happen again. So uh, let's hope it doesn't because... As you mentioned, when especially when it's a great player, who cares when it's someone that you know isn't a very good player? But that one that hurt for Sari because she was playing such a great season that year, and to her for her to leave that way, that was definitely uh, a bit ridiculous. Any predictions for this year? Did any I know first seat, first episode you can't really tell, but I think uh, well, definitely I feel the star of the seasons, at least the first episode anyway, was Marianne. Uh, very, very fascinating. Uh, she's a girl who, uh, we'll get to him, I'm sure, in a sec here. When Jackson had to leave the first episode, he had to get medically evacuated from the show. She cried like someone died right away. It was like, holy, <laughs> like, I understand you being upset, but it was like, holy. Uh, but she, she, yeah, she, I think she might be a little much, you know, like she's, she's uh, wears her heart on her, her sleeve too much and it's going to get on someone's nerves with, uh, yeah, there was like a laugh track on the on the whole episode too with her and and uh, yeah, and then yeah, it sounded like someone was dead when <laughs> yeah, yeah. so weird, right? But she's actually from Ajax. There's a couple of Canadians on there. Her and Omar are Canadians. I didn't realize she was Canadian until I looked at, at their profiles. Uh oh, yeah. yeah, I didn't know. That's didn't know. that's kind of cool uh, that she's yeah, she definitely seemed like she would be a quite a, a good star uh this season. I think I don't know how long he'll last, but uh I can't remember the guy's name, but basically the guy was a Tarzan. He was like a massively built guy, and just Jonathan. Carried, Jonathan, yes, yeah, he was. Uh, he seemed like he could be uh, pretty good for uh, a few episodes, anyway. Yeah, and Mike Turner, that had that guy had like the typical New York accent. Uh, seems you know you always need like the New York accent in Survivor. The firefighter guy, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and, and, he, then, was, and he was like, oh, I hope you know everyone thinks I'm a tough and gruff guy or whatever, and. My initial impression of them, I was like, I don't know if the season's, uh, the cast is very good, but it, I did warm up to them eventually. I thought that was not decently good. Of course, I always love, you know, 42 seasons in, there's always that one guy, a rock, was like barking orders trying to tell him how to make the shelter. It's so funny to me. Uh, who's, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, oh, I think it was Brad last season. He was like dropped into the show. You would think he'd never watch the show. And it was like, oh, who do you think we should vote off? And he's like, I think I should vote off you. Like right to the girl's face. That guy was yeah. hilarious because he just didn't know how to play the game at all. It's like awesome to see when someone just doesn't get the social cues and stuff. So this this rock guy has potential, I think, for being like a very bad player outwardly, which would be awesome, like like Brad was. Um, and of course, as well, she almost got voted off first. Uh, I believe her name is Tori. She's a therapist, uh, the blonde girl. Uh, she looks. I don't know if you agree. She looks identical to Kaylee Cuoco. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty close. I thought that one was funny. I thought they were setting her up to leave because they were. She was setting her. She was kind of describing herself as some kind of psychological genius. Like mm-hmm. she was manipulating all the players. And then, you know, I thought she'd get the boot right away. I, I think she is close behind, though. She's, she seems very annoying. Uh, I like the that Romeo Romeo guy, the one of the thin guys. They mm-hmm. said like, they were both like 110 pounds, which I don't. I think I was over that maybe, you know, in grade four. <laughs> so, and, and then he, he slit the other thin guy's neck, you know. So he, he, yeah. he didn't mind that so much for that thin guy alliance. So now he gets, uh, I, I kind of, I, I think he, he seems kind of pretty smart too. And uh, of course, it, what looked like he was going to be a good character for the show, Jackson, uh, uh, the aforementioned, about how he had to get medically evacuated from the game. Pretty kind of crazy backstory that he, um, because his, uh, uh, took Lithium to sleep, because of uh, taking care of his uh, ailing mother, and then he didn't tell them that he was uh, on that medication until like the day before the show. So then, uh, obviously, they're, they're monitoring him because I guess the side effects of being off it completely is dehydration, which he was. And then they had to get rid of him on the show. Like he was, uh, he looked like he was going to be a very, very good character for the show. So it kind of sucked that he he had to leave the game already. In true Survivor fashion, though, they they went to work. You know, they they huddled about it off camera, and you you know they just tried to exploit the story for all it was worth. They they made sure to bring up. Um, the backstory uh, and then Jeff had that very heartfelt speech with him and you know then they sent him on his way they uh, they, they made sure to hit all the story points even though I'm pretty sure before starting filming they, they, they knew they were getting rid of him after episode one once once he told them uh, that little story but uh, I always enjoy when Survivor kind of milks those stories uh, mm-hmm. and, and tries to hit on that cultural uh so that's Touchstone a, moments for sure. Well, Propes is definitely now that he's a producer as well. Like I like Propes as the host. I don't know if I necessarily love him as the host and producer at times, because as you mentioned, there's been previous seasons where it's like someone's like writhing in pain or whatever. And it's like, so how does that make you feel? And it's like Propes, shut the hell up, man. I'm like freaking like dying here. It seems like, and yeah, as you said, he wants these touchstone moments that are, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, these, uh, you know, uh, moments that are relevant and stuff like that. It's, can you, it can get a little bit much. I think it'd be pretty fascinating if they had an all medic evac season. I'm sure there's enough people. I, I haven't fact checked on this, but like there's probably 16 people or 18 people who've been uh, medically evacuated from the show before. They should all be on the season together because obviously they all lost the game because they had to leave the game because they were, for whatever reason, medically evacuated. They should all be on one season together. That's a good idea. There's a guy who's on from, uh, from Big Brother, Caleb. He was on, I think, twice actually. And he got voted off early one time or something, and Propes loved him. They brought him back, and he was medically evacuated like two episodes in. There's, I remember there was an older guy who couldn't poop a number of seasons ago. Uh, like He like lost in like the final six or something, I want to say. Something like that, anyway. So, yeah, there'd be he couldn't poop? That's how he went out? Yeah, yeah. It was, he was an older guy. I think he might have been like 70 or something like that. Like He was playing a decently okay game, I guess. I can't recall. Oh, what a way name. to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt about that. So definitely he'd be pretty good for that season and um, ah, spice things up a little bit. But uh, it seemed like after that premiere, the start of the premiere, I was like you, a little bit unsure of the season. Certainly feels like there are some uh, characters that definitely leaning Survivor into more of the emotional aspect of the show and like their backstories and all this stuff uh, as opposed to just like pure gameplay. So 
they've uh, Probst is definitely I guess CBS told him to really lean into that sort of aspect of the show. Uh, Chris Harrison is out on his ass, and uh, you know Probst is only gaining power. Like he's going to be doing this like into his seventies. He's going to be like Pete Carroll on Survivor at some point. <laughs> you know what? If I wasn't uh, lazy, I really would. Obviously, it would be so much fun to be on Survivor. Uh, just uh, making the the audition tape video would be uh, that's that's my main impediment to even getting a chance to be on because I uh, unfortunately get too lazy and don't actually make one. But how hilarious would it be if uh, we didn't talk for a while? And it's like, well, I haven't heard from Harrison for a while. And it's like, oh, because he's on the island right now playing Survivor. That would be so much fun. You've got to apply. You've, you've got the you resume. You've got, you've got all these, these pods. You've, you're an interesting character. You're exactly what they're looking for, you know? Especially uh, now, like I said earlier, they're letting uh, uglies on the show. <laughs> you're, you're perfect. <laughs> well on that note that for that compliment i guess we'll end the podcast uh thanks a lot for that one steve but no uh obviously uh been an awesome podcast thank you so much for being on uh, it's been a blast my friend yeah thanks thanks for having me and uh I, I just wish you the best and uh hopefully you can get some better guests that people have heard of in, in the future <laughs> that was a blast catching up with a great old friend steve dominey he always rankles me about the Seahawks, considering he doesn't have a team and so he can get under my skin about them, it must be so much fun to watch the madness that is the NFL without actually having a vested interest in any one team. I'm so jealous of that. Here's hoping the NHL trade deadline is wild, that Daryl Sutter ends up being the coach of the year so I can win some money, and that Survivor ends up having a strong season again. By the way, since Major League Baseball has agreed on a new labor deal... I'm sure the next pod I can discuss, hopefully, a bunch of cool signings and trades. Thank you for listening to episode 80, another milestone episode of the H-Dog Pod. Meh. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Mm bang. Mm bang. Mm bang. Mm bang. Mm bang. Bing. Hey, welcome to... Oh, boy. Oh, dear. I'm out of practice. It's been over a month since doing a podcast, and that was a brutal start. Hey, welcome to my... Oh, boy. Really, Michael? Really? Take three.